From their studio in the Feeding Arizona building in Youngtown, Arizona, it's the Boomer and the Babe Show with Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Join Pete and Deborah and their guests as they give voice to 78 million baby boomers from coast to coast and border to border. Now here are the Boomer and the Babe, Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. And it is the Boomer and the Babe Show. It's on... The internet, of course, on Blog Talk Radio. It's Friday, October 19th, 2012, and we're broadcasting from our studios in Sun City, Arizona. We've got to change that intro. I've been saying that for a week now, and we still haven't gotten it done. And I'm Pete Peters. And I'm Deborah Brown. And listen to that. We got the voice of hey, Deborah. Hey. We got the voice of <laughs> Deborah Brown today. Listen to it. Listen good, my listen friend. Listen to my dulcet tones. Yes, listen good and listen tight. It might not be back again for another month. Hey. That's kind of the way she operates around here, but we're glad she's here. Thank you. And uh, this is the Boomer and the Babe Show, and we invite you to go to our website at boomerandthebabe.com, see everything else that we're involved in, uh, and while you're there, sign up for our mailing list, which will also bring you our online magazine every four to six weeks, and uh, we hope that you'll enjoy that. A lot of the people that are contributors to that publication have also been guests on the show. As I said, I'm Pete Peters, and our guest today is Ms. Jean Newell. Uh, Jean is a an inventor and a boomerpreneur, as she uh, bills herself. And she's got an interesting story about having made and designed a pup and a gizmo. So, uh, Jean, welcome, welcome to the Boomer the Babe Show. Hello, and good morning to both of you. Uh, thank you. Good morning. Well, good afternoon to you because you're yeah, thank on the you. Evening. <laughs> you're on the other you're on the other coast. What well, normally speaking what uh what we do when we get started when she's here and, and I don't know if I should do this now or not but I'm going to go revert back to the way we used to do it and uh Deborah always says hi to our guests and uh ask you for a little something special. So. I do and especially if you've invented something called a pup and a gizmo I've definitely got to do it. What I do is I ask you to give me what I call your 2 minute movie and that is your life going back as far as you'd like to go coming forward to today, talking with us on the show. So please, give us your two-minute video, or your two-minute movie, rather, and welcome, welcome. Well, thank you, but I'm 65 years old, so I don't know if I can do two minutes. Well, we can give you three minutes if you want it. <laughs> oh, my gosh, there's a lot to discuss, isn't there? Um, we'll see if I'll, I, maybe I can talk fast and make this in sound bites. Uh, I grew up in Fort Lauderdale. And I think I had the entrepreneur gene built in me. And I always wonder whether people actually have the gene or they develop the gene. But I think maybe it's a true statement for both. I, At a very young age, I was selling, uh, you know, lemonade and popcorn. And then I was making handmade uh, uh, pot holders and going door to door to sell them. And Girl Scout cookies and taking donations for the school pool and all that stuff. So it got to the point where I kiddingly said one time I was walking down the the street and I could see my neighbor's front big um, picture windows, the drapes closing. And every time I'd get close to someone's house, the drapes would close. And I thought, I must be magical. I can make people's drapes close. That's funny. (laughs) Of course, they were closing the drapes so I wouldn't come up to the front door, I think. But uh, I've always had that sales that um, trying to figure out a way to you know make extra money and not not only just babysitting but also you know if I wanted to go ice uh, roller skating and I didn't have the 78 cents back then I did my own little Saturday uh, flea market so I would sell things to make money to do whatever I want to do 
and of course that I joined junior achievement in high school and I it's amazing the things that I can remember from junior achievement some 40 years later that I'm implementing in my business. So you just never know what things you're going to learn back in the day that you're going to be able to use. But I uh, went got out of school. My passion was to be in show business. I did go to California and did a little bit of that. And then I went back to Fort Lauderdale where I grew up, became a real estate agent, moved up to Brevard County, which is in the central east part of the state on the coast, where the shuttle and where the space program is. I stayed up here about 25 years um, in real estate, and that's where we pick up the story. I was um, starting to lose my mind as well as my products as I would uh, go through the day with our high-tech products. And I knew I needed some kind of a container, a bag, uh, something to keep the cell phone and the pager and the electronic lockbox key and the pen and the business cards and all those things in one place. And that's how I got the idea to go forward with my inventions. Did I do it within two minutes? I think you did, and it, <laughs> it, it was fantastic. And I have a couple of, of things to note, and that is, and we'll come back and we'll weave this through, but when you talk about the entrepreneur gene and that mindset that you started with so, so long ago as a child, not that you, not that, that was long ago, but I'm saying as a child. <laughs> you know what I mean. long ago, Deborah. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'm right behind you, so no, it's not. Um, Deborah, I have to remind you that Gene and I are the same age, so be careful of what you're saying. I understand. I have to respect my elders. <laughs> oh, thank I'm you, Deborah. <laughs> so close, though. I'm 59, so I'm right behind you. Hey, Deborah, um, I tell people I was in real estate for 35 years in real estate, and I said, how is that impossible? I'm only 39 years old. I know. We have these math skills we have to keep remembering. That's right. Um, but when you talk about the, the entrepreneur gene being something that you were aware of and that making extra money when you wanted to go skating, you just you just went into create mode. You know, It's like, okay, I, need, I have a problem. I need to solve it, and I have everything I need to be able to do that. Don't you think that's a mindset that, that um, is so important for an entrepreneur? Of course. You have to be able to rely on yourself. And I think what's happening with especially this new generation coming up is people start relying on other things. They either rely on a business to keep them employed. But, the, you know, the businesses aren't employing people for 30 and 35 years like they did years ago. And, or they want the government to support them or something. They, they're they looking at somebody else to, to come up with ideas to support them. We have to go back to ourselves. We have to be self-sufficient. So if we do get laid off or we want to change jobs or we find out our retirement isn't working out, we we can do something to get out of that situation. Exactly. And what I what I also notice about your attitude that you were describing about the like the skating money and the the selling lemonade and you know having people turn their backs on you because they're saying, oh my God she's going to sell me something again today, but um, you obviously are the type of person that doesn't wait for someone else to solve the problem, which you were just saying. So when you have these high-tech tools in your in your purse, in your pockets, and it's just not conveniently stored, you didn't say, Gosh, I wish somebody would invent that. You did it yourself. That's correct. Of course, we did a little research first. There were, and I say we because there were several people in my office that, um, you know, had the same problem. And of course, I came... I had to be the one that uh, had to come forward during a meeting. I have a little bit of a sense of humor, if you haven't, <laughs> you haven't <laughs> noticed. You have to get funny as you get older or life really gets stale. But uh, I came to a business meeting once, and I said, you know, I am so tired. 
of calling my own cell phone to find it. And everybody started laughing because, you know, everybody can relate to that at least once, you know, that you've lost your cell phone. And I said, we've got to come up with some way to, I said, I'm going to go down to Home Depot and I'm going to buy one of those cloth nail aprons that says Home Depot. Yeah. And I'm going to wear it with my business suit. And I don't care what if people laugh at me. I need pockets. I need some place that to keep these things. And like you said, I had to invent it. But first, we researched. We want actually. I just wanted to buy something. I didn't really technically want to invent anything in the beginning. I just wanted to buy. A, a, a solution to my problem. So several of us in the office started researching, and we looked through catalogs on the web and went to travel uh, stores. We're thinking maybe a travel product would, you know, fit. Or we went, but I was shocked to find out that of all the inventions that were out there, all the high tech inventions, no one had thought to invent a, a, a case that would hold more than one. Everybody, you know, if you had a Palm Pilot at the time or whatever they were calling them, it came with a case but only one. But if you had a cell phone, it came with a case but only one, and they expected you to put that on your waist or or attach it to your belt or somehow, you know, attach that one thing, when in reality people were carrying three and four things. So that's how that started. I I like I like to take credit and say, boy, it, it, it went, I went right to, you know, inventing it, but first – I found out there was a problem, and nobody else had made the solution for it. Right now, we we hinted at the fact that it's called the pup, but that is uh, that's an acronym for what it really is. So why don't you tell us what the item is and describe it a little bit? You know, we've already mentioned that it holds your high tech toys and keys and glasses and all that stuff, but you describe it better, and then we'll start talking about other things about the process that you went through. All right. Well, the pup is an acronym for Personal Utility Pouch. And I said it's the first unisex-designed wearable organizer for travel, work, and play. And that's basically it, something that you can wear several different ways that holds multiple high-tech devices and, as it turned out, also low-tech devices. So you don't have to only put your high-tech products in it. It will hold all the sunglasses, pens, uh, car keys, wallets, and so forth. Exactly. And is, is uh, this can what, this be considered a man purse also? You could. It, it because um it's kind of a unisex design, it doesn't really look like um a purse and that was actually I'm glad you brought that up, Pete, because um all the men in my office when we finally got to the point where they wanted me to design this, they said, Please don't call it a purse or a fanny pack or we're not gonna take one. <laughs> mm-hmm. sure. So that's why we kinda came up with a generic um, name for it that uh, because it really doesn't look quite like any other bag that's out there right now. It's it's flat. It's not egg shaped, and it's can be worn around the waist or over the shoulder or across the body, and yet it's small enough. By I think it's about six by nine, but it it has zippers and open pouches, so it has the convenience of what you want to use it for. But it doesn't look like you're you know a tourist wearing the fanny pack to the theme parks. Well, the thing that I like about it, uh, you were kind enough to send us um, two different designs of it, and what I can see is that it will fit in my purse if I wanted to put it inside my purse to organize my purse as well. In other mm-hmm. words, it just goes from purse to purse, and I switch purses sometimes, and I realize, oh, my gosh, I just left all of my business cards in my other purse, and I'm at a networking event. I cannot tell you how many times that has happened because it's not uh, it's not a simple switch. 
That's correct. That's, I believe, probably the gizmo bag that has the removable straps. And it's very similar to the original pup, but you're exactly right. And I came up with that secondary plan based on what my customers were telling me. They were buying two pups. And I'd say, oh, um, how come you're buying two personal utility pouches? Because the original design had the straps attached to it. And they said, well, we like you know, we like it with the strap attached, but we also want one for our purses. So they'd take the second one and cut the straps off. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> No kidding. That's amazing. So I said, well, the next time I I design a bag, I'll you know I'll take that into consideration and with some of the other input. So, isn't that? Uh, I'll tell you, customers will tell you exactly what they want. <laughs> yes, they will. Yes, they will. So there's two lines of inquiry that I would like to travel here in a minute. One of them has to do with the fact that you've been on some major media, which I think is exciting, and then the other one is the actual invention process and getting it on to um, some uh, shopping networks and things like that, which is a big deal. I mean, you've done, you've done an amazing uh, job of moving this along. I mean, it's very exciting to think that someone can, you know, just up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to do this, and then have it turn out this well. I'm just very proud for you. So, well, thank you. Yeah, so talk to me about the major media. You've been, on, you've been featured in the, the New York Daily News, the Washington Post, Fox News, um, and you've been interviewed by Matt Lauer. How was that? Uh, that was fun. <laughs> He's really cute. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's adorable. Uh, it's all a process. Um, you know, actually, when when you start getting local media, media begets media. Uh, and the more media that you do, it just seems to snowball because – the media is, is they want something that's in the news and they want to feature things that are newsworthy and if they think someone else is writing about you or you've been on a show then everybody want, it's like a feeding frenzy so all you have to do is start the feeding frenzy with something and it, it and keep working at it and it's just like a just like a fire it starts with a little teeny spark and it just a little like a snowball out of control sometimes but um, it, it can be done, and it can be done inexpensively. And um, I'm here to tell you, I I spent a lot of money in the very beginning with professionals, and I didn't get the results that I kind of expected. And so I um, I used my own talents. I was very good in marketing real estate. And I tell people, find find the, the thing that you can do well and then help that, make that part of your marketing plan. And if you're not good at uh, marketing or publicity, yes, go ahead and hire someone to do that for you. But if you do have a talent for something, uh, just like if you were good at bookkeeping, you may not want to hire a bookkeeper in the beginning because that's what you can do well. But if you can't, you're not comfortable calling the media or writing your own press kits, then go ahead and pay for that. But media begets media, and you start small and let it build. That's exactly right. And what I'm entertained by with the Matt Lauer piece is that it was on a segment called Fearless Boomers Starting Over. <laughs> what a yes. great uh what a great thing to hold, you know. Yes, <laughs> it's like that... in, you know, I, I like that and you like that, but there's others out there that just you know, it's like, Oh my god, I wanna be fearless and I need to start over and how do I do it? you know? Well that's true and Unfortunately, if um, you've been comfortable in a job for 25 or 30 years, it's you're going to have to really get uncomfortable and start not only thinking outside the box, but doing a lot of things that you normally aren't comfortable doing. And one of the first things that I find that um, 
I'm going to call them professional employees, people that have been employed for a long period of time and haven't really done a, anything on their own, is they, they're not used to networking. And networking is where you – it's the whole key to starting a business. Um, networking and publicity, those two things – those two things will propel a business that is obscure right now. They'll, it'll just take them to the next level. And they're not used to talking to people, and they're not even used to introducing themselves. Um, so one of the first things that I always share with people is let's get a let's get a um, what they call an elevator pitch or introduction, um, a professional introduction done. So at least when you're at that chamber of commerce meeting or that business meeting, and they go stand up and tell us, you know, in 20 seconds uh, a little bit about yourself, you're not hemming and hawing, and you don't know what to say. Exactly. Exactly. And you're also the author of a forthcoming book, which I love the title, and it's so related to this. So how how about you tell us what the title is? (laughs) The title is How to Turn Your Pink Slip into a Red Hot Business. And And that was based uh, basically because of where I'm located here on the Space Coast of Florida, and, you know, thousands and thousands of people were getting their pink slip because of the Space Center and I was doing a lot of mentoring with them, and I had um, I had developed a lot of different programs and seminars for the Small Business Development Center, and we had it under the title of Turn Your Pink Slip into a Red Hot Business. So I just took our our seminar titles and and turned it into the book. A great idea. That's a great idea. And how many people do you think, besides the um, the space, um, you know, that industry, of course, got definitely decimated. Um, but there's other industries that have the same issues, right? So there's lots and right. lots of people that need to figure out, okay, do I have what it takes? How do I start? What do I do, right? And that's why your book is so important. Well, uh, that's exactly right. They, I think they need to have um, an icon or an example or someone that they can see has has done it before because it's one thing saying oh if you're 50 years old you can start a business but if there's no one out there that has done that um what's going to give them the the uh will and the passion and the drive to do that if they don't have some example of someone else doing it so i i think it's very important that you know people see that yes it can be done and and it's going to you just need to be in the right in the right avenues and the and the ventures of other people that have done it before you, so it gives you i think it'll help give them um the initiative and the um the power i guess is what i'm going for to to go ahead and give it a try because they can see someone else has gone before them and actually paved the road for them absolutely you know I'm reminded of a gentleman that was part of the NASA scene. Matter of fact, he was on our show. He, I can't think of his name right now. It'll come to me. I can remember his his business name, which is a tea company. Um, makes different kinds of teas, and his family business is very successful here in Phoenix. Um, and when he was getting ready to come on the show, he was part of the IT people, you know, the uh, Internet technology um, team for around the time of the challenger and i didn't realize that when i started to ask him the question offline i said were you involved when the challenger blew up and he said absolutely he said i was i was in the room and i and i he said and when it happened all i could think was oh my god please don't let it be anything i was responsible for 
and right. it, it was and it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So my point is, he went from IT with NASA to just one T, <laughs> T E A. Uh-huh. But um, you know, it's like, okay, so what do you do? You know, what do you do? And sometimes you just have to find. Um, a new venture, a new pas- a new way to express your passion, your creativity. Um, you know, I'm sure you've got step by step in your book about what exactly um, can be a pitfall that you can avoid. I do, but if someone is kind of curious of of some of the things that are that's in the book, I had so I've set up a website for aspiring entrepreneurs just to kind of test the water. So I have a, a self-evaluation test on that website and, and get some thinking and putting things on paper and um, make it just seeing where they might fit in the whole scheme of things. And that's um, at newcomarketing.com. Lots of free resources there and websites, and that's newcomarketing.com. They can... Um, uh, find all kinds of other websites and links, and it gives them a place to peruse a little bit and find out if this looks like something they'd like to try. That's good. That's great. A wonderful service, so that somebody can get their uh, some of their um, thoughts in in order. That's right. Exactly. All right. So now we let's go down to the um, the other line that I wanted to cover, which is the actual. How did you? How did you do the manufacturing? You know, how, did you have any background in that? Had you ever invented anything else in all of your your ventures? Um, sounds like you were in real estate, which is not very inventive, so to speak. <laughs> it's a lot of marketing, but not. Uh, Be surprised at some of the things you have to invent to make a house sound good <laughs> in the paper. But, uh, oh, that's probably uh, true. Uh, well, of course, I had no background in manufacturing. When, uh, that's a given. <laughs> You start into something you've never had any. But I think people don't give themselves credit. We always say, I didn't have any. I always tell people, I didn't have any business background. I was in business for 35 years as an independent contractor for as a real estate agent. But because people associate that a real estate agent works for somebody, um, you don't think of yourself as owning your own business. But really, I had my own business for 35 years because you have to, you had to do your own, um, you know, taxes. You had to buy your own equipment. You had to pay for your own gas, and you had to set up your own everything. You had to buy everything for your business. So I think people underestimate themselves, and I think the self-evaluation test or sitting with someone else that at SCORE or the Small Business Development Center, suddenly you realize, wait a minute, although I sat behind a desk at some company for 35 years, I've got some things that I can I can use, kind of dust off, maybe uh, uh, reevaluate it, you know, reinvent it, and, and transition into something else. Um, all the things that you usually learn at any business is going to is is going to be great when you want to uh, bring that knowledge with you to your own business. So of course I had no manufacturing business, but as a a little side story, I always tell people I've I've always had one of those inventive minds, and I think. Ninety-eight percent of the people that I talk to say, I had this great idea one time, and then I saw it on a shelf about five years later, and I never did anything with it. I think we all sit through and look at all kinds of ideas at home on how things could be improved, but most of us don't take the initiative to go forward with it as a business. It's always just a, why didn't that inventor think to make it a little bigger or in a different color or something? So we all have that invention. It's just it's it's the entrepreneur spirit that 
is usually on hold. You know, that's the thing that you got to release to take that idea. But what I was going to tell you, back in 1960, probably 66, I created, in my mind, I invented the GPS system. <laughs> now, I know it was probably invented maybe back, who knows, it was probably invented in the 40s or 50s and just wasn't out yet. But in my mind, I said, I want. I'll, I was lost one day in Fort Lauderdale. And I said, wouldn't it be great if you had a map in your car that you could look at, some kind of an electric map, and you could see where you were on the map? And I had it all planned out in my head how it would work. You'd have little uh, antennas on um, telephone poles every so often, and it would send you a little radio signal. Now, see, I wasn't thinking of satellites. We didn't have satellites at that point. Well, yeah, and you weren't thinking about RFID and um, and any of that new radio frequency identification stuff right. and all that. Well, you know, Pete, in his mind, invented the pita pocket sandwich. There what you else go. have you? What else have you invented in your mind that? Uh, well, believe me, there's a lot of things in my mind. That I, think. <laughs> I, I want I wanted to mention uh, as you were talking about, uh, you were just feeling that you were sitting behind a desk at some level. Uh, selling selling real estate, and what people don't uh, what people don't realize, what they fail to realize, is that a lot of the things that they're doing, sitting behind a desk selling real estate or doing customer service or whatever the case might be, if they're going to get into their own business, those are all transferable skills that they have. Exactly. Uh, th- there's something there that they can take that and they can tweak it a little bit instead of having it the color be brown, have the color be blue. And, uh, and but the the skill is the same. It, it just moves from one category to the next. And you can all then and the fact of uh, where you're going to manufacture, how you're going to manufacture, uh, that many times can be a learned process. And it could it could be a um, uh, you could subcontract that process, or you could you know explore that process with uh, with people that you're using as part of your team to give you ideas and 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 do some. Uh, some 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 brainstorming and things like that, but the fact is, if you have been the one that's been out doing the marketing and the sales in whatever area it is, that is all transferable. And at that, you're you're well ahead of many people that have never done that type of thing before. That was the word I was looking for, transferable, and that is exactly right. Uh, but um, back to about manufacturing, um, as I think as we get a little older, we realize if we don't know. We know where to go to get the answers if we don't have them ourselves. So if we're not if right. we're not good at bookkeeping, we're not going to just struggle through it and try to keep our books up. We're going to hire somebody to do that for us, and or we're going to go back to school and learn. Or we're going to, as you older, you realize what you don't know, and then you find the person that does know how to do that. So yeah, I didn't know about manufacturing, but it didn't take me long to find out how uh, somebody else that did, <laughs> and and, uh, and go from there and and. And let somebody else do the manufacturing. I was just, uh, uh, you know, the coordinator of everything. So that's the one blessing, I think, as a boomer. Um, we realize that there are people out there that have the knowledge that we need. That's right. How long did it take you from when you came up with the idea and you started putting things down on paper, maybe drawing some sketches and things like that as far as what you wanted to have? From that point forward, how long did it take you until the first the prototypes were done and the first sales were made? Actually, not very long at all, which is, uh, again, surprising because uh, if you don't know what you don't know, sometimes ignorance is bliss. <laughs> right. Sometimes things happen very quickly if you don't know that it's not supposed to happen that way. 
uh, I kind of came up with this um, problem in June of uh, 2003, and I kept complaining about not having someplace, you know, to keep my my high tech products and. Uh, and I, we were searching, and you know things were busy in 2003. Those were the good old days of real estate, right? Uh, so I, I really wasn't in any hurry to invent this thing. I just wanted to complain about it for a while. <laughs> so I was at lunch with a fellow associate, and I had again left my cell phone somewhere, and I couldn't find it. He said, "When are you going to come up with this idea you keep talking about?" I said, "I'm busy." So he said, well, we're sitting here right now. Tell me what it's going to look like. So that was in um, about September, I guess. Oh, I spent three months just thinking about this and complaining. So in September, I drew it up. I had somebody make a a mock uh, model out of it, a local uh, seamstress make one. Then um, this associate happened to know a bag company in Florida, so we got in touch with them. They... um, they got me some prototypes, and that was in about October. Um, I had my first order delivered two months later in December, and I sent the product off to QVC, and it was accepted in February, and I was on air in May. So less than a year, I came up with the idea, got it manufactured, got it marketed, and was on air. Let's talk a little bit about your QVC experience. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I mean, QB, QBC <laughs> is huge. I mean, uh, I, I know that uh, in talking to you, I think you mentioned before we decided to do the show, I think you mentioned uh, that you watched the Shark Tank. Yes. And there's that woman on there that is from QBC. Lori. Uh, uh, Lori, is that her? Is that, yeah, that's her name. And uh, and uh, we had occasion to actually work with an organization here in, in Phoenix, so I don't know how many, five years ago maybe, uh, called the Lucky Napkin. And Lucky Napkin was doing various things with people that had the great what they thought was a great idea, and they were trying to move them from conception to scalability. And uh, one of the things and one of the people that was involved in the big soiree that they had was a gentleman from QVC, I think it was, and uh, and it was interesting to learn that, for instance, he said the best thing. One of the he sell he sold kitchen products. That was his. his He's the uh, number one pitch pitch guy on QVC. I'm, um, yeah, in the kitchen. His name is Bob. I can't remember. His in, name. In the, in the oh yeah, in the product, kitchen. In the Actually, kitchen products line. Right. Mm-hmm. And any and anyway, he said that they had an eight inch. The the big hot item was the eight inch frying pan. And that and the QVC has a skew, so and you can only run that skew so many times based on what he was telling us, and then you have to change the product slightly. So right. what you what you do is you take the eight inch frying pan, and now you put a lid on it, and it changes the skew, and then after you've changed the skew, run that uh, through its uh, their process, then you take the eight inch frying pan and you put a little pour spout on one side of it so that you can just tip it and pour the grease off of it or fluid off of it. And then what you do the next time is you take and you put the the spout on the other side, you can pour it either left or right. And each of those is considered a skew change. Did you go through a lot of that with QVC or was your your situation and maybe your uh maybe your category was different? No, but that is a true statement. Um I didn't know that at the time, but they don't uh, they don't like to keep showing the same product over again, so they'll either drop it for a year or two and re- and bring it back out in different colors or 
um, you know, a different, you know, a slightly different style to it. But he's absolutely right. They they want to show that they have new and interesting products. All the and they oh, it's down to a science. You know, it's all peaks and valleys with any kind of sales. But they, as long as it's peaking, it's fine. But once it starts to go down the valleys, they figure, okay, our our audience. As all all the people that are going to buy this product have already bought, bought it, so let's retire it and re, and reinvent it and bring it back out again. My um my pro I was always told that um, first of all you're very once I got on QVC then I found out how hard it is to get on QVC and I said boy I'm glad I didn't know all that information at the time. Sure, sure. Um, they kept saying you know you're you'll never get past uh, after I was past the first one they said oh you know you'll probably never get invited back but it's all based on your show it's all based on how many you sell if you do well on the show you're invited back and this went on for 18 months i was on 35 times and so i was flying from florida to to pennsylvania where the studios are on a regular basis and i still have my full-time real estate job so it was it was kind of interesting but yes um it finally got to the point at about 24 months where we retired it for a couple of years and then we brought it back out packaged um, with two in a pack instead of one in a pack, and right. we sold it as a family pack. So that's a correct statement. Well, it's it, it's very interesting when he was telling us this, and he also mentioned because he was he was up in front of the room telling us about QVC and how it works and and his experience, and, and uh, he was looking at all the products that were there to see if they had a, a, some QVC potential, and. Uh, and one of the things he also said is that they have all the monitors in the back room and they have all the all the techies in the back room and if you're giving your pitch and all of a sudden they can tell you right down to a couple of words in your pitch what it was that made the that made the the spike in the sales so so that if something you said was the key magic phrase uh that that's the one that you wanted to make sure that you use uh over and over again and beyond that uh, get rid of the rest, some of the rest of the stuff. That's exactly right, and they have what they call a green room, which is where everyone stays. And so, you know, they have the couches and the dressing rooms and the makeup rooms and so forth. And that's where everyone stays to wait their turn to go on QVC. And back there, there's all these computers, and in real time, you can see what's selling. So you can see the numbers changing in real time, and I think there's a 20-second delay, something like that. So, again, um, not in that particular room where the vendors are, but there's another place where um, the producers are listening, and um, we all have ears earpieces so we we can hear uh, the producer talk to us if if they want to talk to the vendor but the host on the show is constantly getting feedback from the producer i don't know how they do that talk and listen at the same time uh, but when someone calls into the show um it comes through our earpiece and you know sometimes they tell us to, to do something that you know as far as a uh, direction for the stage but um, yes, you're right. I, I've, a couple times I've said something, and then all of a sudden I hear the producer say, uh, "Repeat the fact that soccer moms can use this." You know, and so you know we do that, or we'll show the what they call the B-roll. That's um, that's the, the the tape that shows various ways to use the product. They might decide to show that again because it got a spike when it was showing the B-roll. Um, absolutely, that it's all high tech. Um, right down to the science of about 20 seconds. Very Isn't that sci- amazing? Very scientific. Um, now, do you have to have thousands of bags ready based on, you know, each each time you're on? Did you have to have quantity already ready, or does QVC buy it from you? I really don't know how that part works. 
Well, that's the tricky part because uh, QVC and many other retail stores are doing the same thing. They will order, uh, they'll put in a purchase order for X amount, and they will not let you um, go on air unless the purchase order has been um, produced and accepted in their warehouse. So, for an example, they might say, um, Gene, we the sh- we'd like to have a sellout, and based on their mathematical things that no one really knows <laughs> except QVC, um, we think we can probably do three thousand uh, in seven minutes on this particular show. So, order three thousand of them, and you know we have to have them uh, with special labels and uh, SKU numbers and all this. Everything's got to be perfect because. It's all about um, getting past the shipping department and the scanners, and if it's not right, it gets rejected back out. So you want to make sure all your ducks are in a row. You get them to their warehouse. Once they receive them, then it's green light to go on the show. So, yes, they have to be sitting with it. Here's, Here's the trick. Um, QVC is set up like a consignment. It's not really a, a, a 30-day purchase order like most stores that you think of, oh, they're going to buy them from me. Um, in fact, a lot of retailers are going this route, too. They'll let the vendor um, uh, fulfill their order, but they have the right to send it back to you. So they only pay for that uh, product that sells. So if for something happens and um, I send my order up there and um for whatever reason the show gets canceled or they decide to change their mind or whatever um they they can send it back to me so on the 35th time <laughs> you know you could say oh my god i just got 3000 and you canceled my show are you kidding me you know <laughs> or it, it could, could be happen. the first time or in the middle wow it that's amazing happen. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful for for new vendors um, because they have a way to get nationally known right away. But if there is a snag or if there's some problem, and I'm I'm starting to see this happen with some of the retail stores now, they they kind of want all the the risk on the vendor. You know, the most of these stores aren't taking any risk anymore. They want all the ha- low hanging fruit. Uh, they they want. The the vendor and it, they don't care if you're really small, you're just getting started. You've mortgaged your home. They don't care if that if they've got it written in that they have what they call a guaranteed purchase order, which means it's guaranteed to sell or we return it. Um, it can make the difference between you know starting a business and folding a business overnight. So what they want to be is they just want to be the conduit for it all, mm-hmm. and they want to and they're in essence taking taking a percentage, or if you will. Uh, Paying for the cost and and their profit, and then whatever's left over goes to the vendor. Right, right. Now, at 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 what point uh, do you know uh, whether or not there's going to there's going to be a return? I mean, it, it just happens literally overnight, uh, or do they give you some kind of advance warning, or they just say, "Here, come and pick these up, take them out of here." As far as going on another show or getting your product returned to you, getting it returned. Um, it can happen overnight. It can. Um, it it could be you know you're waiting for your next show and all of a sudden they've decided they don't want it and then they return what's left in the warehouse. It, it can be either way. Wow, wow. So uh, you have to have substantial. Um, uh, you can't uh, be risk averse, <laughs> right? You have yeah, to have. Yeah, you can't be. Yeah, you have. You have. You. I mean, you're you're running a bit of a gamble there, aren't you? Uh, well, I wouldn't even call it a bit. 
yeah, a lot gamble. of gamble. And again, in the beginning, I didn't, um, and, my, and I had happened to have a business partner at the time, and we didn't actually understand what guaranteed PO meant. Um, and it's a good thing because I would have really been nervous 35 times if I thought, oh, my gosh, if I don't sell these, I'm going to be coming back. And although you might not have a sellout each show, if it, it they have certain um, quotas. And if you meet that quota, even though it wasn't a sellout, then you come back sometimes the next day, sometimes two weeks later. Maybe you're on at 3 o'clock in the morning. You could, it, it just varies on where they want to put you. But if as long as it's meeting the quotas or it's still meeting a certain um, requirement, you know, you keep getting invited back, but they don't always tell you a lot in advance. Um, I've landed in Orlando um, and got off the plane, turned on my cell phone, and there's a message from QVC wanting to know if I'll be on tomorrow morning's show. Mm. <laughs> and I've just landed. So I I either have to uh, jump on another plane and go back um, or, I, you know, um, take the risk of saying no and let me tell you don't say no to big vendors i mean because then you become someone that they don't rely on so well, you become like a non-compliant patient that's and a right. doctor patient you know it's like oh this person's not compliant you know? that's right well one time i flew back and forth and three three times in one week mm. and by the third time i was i was shaking because i I'm the only person that I know that can stay in the same time zone and and have a, a what do you call it, jet lag. <laughs> <laughs> well, now let me ask you just one question uh, with regard to the QVC. All of this, 35 visits, I don't know how many thousands of, of uh, 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 pouches you sold, uh, but I'm going to I'm going to uh, imagine or suggest that it was profitable. With oh, all yeah. the, with oh, all yeah. everything else that was going on, the manufacturing, the shipping, and everything else, I'm going to suggest that you you probably did pretty well with it. We did very well, very well. I think it was close to well, the first year we did uh, a million and a half dollars in retail, and and it you know it went on for another a few months past that, and then we reintroduced it a couple of years later. So yeah, it did it did very well. It didn't break any QVC records, but you know, <laughs> it it did substantial longer than most people thought it was going to last. It put food on the table. Oh yeah. <laughs> now, can you envision um, going back on QVC, changing it somewhat at this point in time, and and going back? Um, as far as the pup is concerned, it's um, it's just like uh, Pete said, it's retired. And now we've introduced the gizmo bag, and we just had that on in May, and we're waiting for uh, another uh, purchase order coming in. I think we're going to probably pass on the fourth quarter, but it could in, be introduced again in next year. But it was um, it came out in May, and that was the debut for the gizmo bag, which is just a slightly bigger bag with um, removable straps and so forth. So, see, we kind of reinvented the pup. Right, fantastic. Okay, so what's the advantage to the small business for getting a product on a shopping network like QVC or Home Shopping Network or whatever? Well, it's it's instant. Uh, you know, you instantly have national recognition, and it it's the same. You can even do that in a store if you could get your product in Macy's or 
um, even a big catalog, something that says you have credibility, and then you use that credibility to get more vendors, and, it, and I'm sorry, to get more uh, manufacturers um, interested in manufacturing your product, get the price down. You also have more opportunities to have it placed in, in other venues. So anything that you can do, like a, a national exposure like that, it's a, a supply and demand kind of thing, you know, and and it gets gets the buzz going about your product. So it's all good, but as I said, it um, it, it takes a little. Uh, it, you have to breathe real heavy. <laughs> and, well, let me ask and, you this: Does does it? Uh, I I have to tell you this because I am a. Um, a compulsive person. I I don't watch QVC or any of those because I'm afraid that I would get the credit card out like every couple hours and buy something. So I just stay off it. I mean, I'm just being honest here. <laughs> oh, it's true. Cool. You they have a, they make it so easy that I am now registered online on my computer, yeah. and uh, all I have to do is is just press one button on my computer and it automatically yeah. buys it. I don't even have to put in my yeah. num- name or anything. It it is scary. Yeah, so I don't want to be that. Any kind of a uh, the slightest uh, feeling that you could be addicted to. I mean, there are people in real estate. We used to see this a lot, where someone's, um, especially that maybe their mother has passed away, and we go to the home to get it ready to sell for the children uh, in the estate, and we open up closets, and it's nothing but um, Marie Osmond dolls or Christmas um, ornaments and uh, things that are still in the boxes. And, you know, the, this person is sitting there, you know, 70, 80 years old, sitting there just buying things off of QVC because they don't have anybody else to talk to, which right. is very sad. That's an entirely another show we ought to talk about on uh, <laughs> yeah, on our but, parents of being sitting there by themselves. Right. But what I wanted to ask you, um, I teed it up that way, not as a joke, but it's, really I don't watch QVC, so I don't know the answer. Is your information available to someone watching? In other words, do they get information about your website? Do they find out who you are and how to get hold of you for something else? Absolutely not. Aha. Absolutely not. In fact, um, the home shopping networks, as and again, I'm not just – uh, singling out QVC, but even some of the retail stores, they they will take your product as a sample. They'll look at it, and then they'll tell you what you can and can't put in your product. I used to have a label in my product that said Melbourne, Florida, and it, it had the name of the product Melbourne, Florida, on my website. Because you want people, if they, someone says, oh, that's a nice bag, where'd you get it? And if they've forgotten, they've got a tag inside that tells them. No, none of that could be put in my bags for QVC. Mm-hmm. So that's fine and dandy when they're selling them, but then if you get your product back, now you've got product back that has nothing in it that you can use for reselling to somewhere else. So it's, it's um, you know, that's kind of a negative part of it. But, no, they, they want to purposely make it where people have to go to the QVC site or the HSN or, or Dillard's or whatever the store is to purchase your product. So it's, um, as I said, it, it's very, uh, um, uh, what would I say? <laughs> well, it's their <laughs> ball game. Word this. Pardon it's, me? It's, it's their ball game. There you go. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's, it's their bat. It's their ball. It's their <laughs> game. Um, so in other, if, as an example, you were going to sell something, let's say Dillard's, and Dillard says, well, put Dillard's on that bag for me, Dillard's pup. And they're going to take that 
Dillard's pup and put on there. And uh, at the end of at the end of the day, after the Christmas selling season, uh, you get uh, five thousand Dillard's pup bags back. What the heck can you do with them? Right. Well, in a case of something like that, you don't want to have any. You want to make sure you don't have a guaranteed PO. You want to have a straight thirty day PO where they they're purchasing them come. Come whatever, you know. Right. Uh, they they're gonna they're having that they're purchasing your bag, so they're gonna discount them. They're gonna sell, put them on sale. They're gonna give them away, whatever they're whatever they're gonna do with them. Um, but that that guaranteed sale is the the problem because most of these many most of these um, retailers um, want everything leaning towards them but then on the other hand um it, it's as you said it's it's not a really a, a fair game anymore it's it's all about what they can do for you and again and i don't want to sound like a, it's a negative thing it can be a wonderful thing you just have to know going in um you, you know what your risks are and whether you're willing to take that risk and what negotiations you can make with them because it's all about negotiating well, it it is about negotiations and uh and and that was probably one of the skills you learned while you were selling real estate. So there's another transferable skill for you. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like what you're telling us is that if you have a good idea rather than sitting around saying, "Gee, you know, I wonder if somebody else is going to invent that someday." Um or seeing it an idea actually come to fruition that you did not put together, like five years later, and go, ah, that was my idea five years ago. It sounds like you're just kind of are telling people, go ahead and start to sketch it out. But they've got to be able to find the the pieces like you did. You know, like you had the um, the person that could do the prototype for you. You had the person that could do the um, the seams. You know, the seamstress right. was able to mm-hmm. do that. So there is risk involved, and it's it's like okay. Do you just go for it, or do you do a different kind of business, or stay well, home and watch TV? <laughs> watch the Shark Tank. You really get exactly. a good idea. Um, in fact, there's another show out there that's very interesting. If people can get it on um, PBS, it's called um, Everyday Edison's. And they take people through the process of people coming in with just an idea, but they take the product and they run with it and they do the prototypes and everything themselves. But it gives people an idea what all is involved in the whole process. But I always say if you're going to have it, especially if you're going to have an invention where you're you're going to be laying out capital and so forth, let's put our toe in the pool first. Let's test the waters first. Let's just don't jump right in because people get I, – I, I do seminars about – taking a product to market. And I said, some people are pregnant with product, which means that they're just so excited about this product and ready to give birth to it that they're so in love with it that they're not thinking straight, you know, and they're they're mortgaging their house and they're doing all these things and then come to find out nobody's interested in that product at that price or that size that they've invented. So you want to keep your day job if you've got one. Keep your day job. Um Test it out a little bit and get some prototypes made. If you don't know where to get them made, it's back to that word networking. Go to the Small Business Development Center in your area. Meet with people that know who might make prototypes in your area or where to send you. And and just start feeling out the market and having a few focus groups. And focus groups, as you know, are people that might potentially buy your product or that it's at least the demographic of who you think your product is is. Um, uh, targeted for. 
So that's what I would do, just slowly, you know, work it as a part-time um, interest, uh, and not even a business yet, but just you're getting interested in seeing wh- where you are in the scheme of things, and then slowly get your foot into the water. <laughs> exactly. Sort of like running up the flagpole, see if anybody's going to salute. Uh, <laughs> like uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand that what you're doing now is uh, a, considerable amount of, a considerable amount of mentoring and uh, helping small business entrepreneurs small business folks uh, get the toe in the water and taking it a little bit further down the road than that. Is that correct? Oh, that's right. And that, again, kind of fell into my lap just like the product did. I was getting calls from the, my local small business development center who said, I've got somebody here that's got a product and you know how to do it. Can I send them over to you? Or will you come in and talk with them? Or, And I said, sure. So, you know, that was happening a couple times a month. And the next thing you know, it's three and four times a week. And then I was doing seminars. And then when people got laid off at NASA, all of a sudden there was this great demand for People, not only myself, but other people that have been down whatever road that these aspiring entrepreneurs are about to take, and they just needed, they, I said, we're like an Indian guide during the Old West in the covered wagons. You know, we've been down the trail a couple times, so we don't need the map. We can show you how to do it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And and I've even noticed the college, uh, the colleges um, in this area, the junior colleges, as well as um, all of our advanced uh, um, uh, schooling and and even the high schools are all starting entrepreneur classes. And even they're starting more entrepreneur classes at the um, small business development centers. It's all about starting a business. Nine years ago, ten years ago when I started this, there wasn't very much out there. There wasn't a lot of books. and a, I had to pick up rocks and see what was underneath it, you know, just keep picking up rocks and looking under it and trying to figure out where, what I was doing. Yeah. But um, now there's people like yourself and, 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 and me and other people that at least – we can keep them from making the same mistakes we made. <laughs> right. One well, thing... I, I wrote a, a very short blog one time. It was uh, yesterday I couldn't even spell entrepreneur, and now I are one. Yes, I like that. I've heard and, that. And, uh, and, and that's pretty much, the, pretty much the way it is. I mean, a lot of people find themselves in this position through no efforts on their own. It's just like all of a sudden, whoa, what the heck is this? People want to buy my thing. And uh and and they really do have to get some kind of direction, don't they? They somehow, somewhere, whether it be an individual, a book, online, whatever, they do need to, to find some direction. And the interesting thing that I always I always harp on is just be careful who you talk to because there's so much of it out there and so many of them are there not to help you but to make money off of you. That's exactly right. And one thing that I tell people the first two seconds of our conversation is please don't tell me that you've done this and don't do it is to get involved with one of these invention companies that advertise on TV or are well into the Internet um, that I get so many people that have gone down that road and, and to the tune of about eight or ten thousand dollars, and they have nothing to show for it, and now they're out of fund money or seed money, and now they're kind of stuck, you know. So, go go to the, the resources out there that are trustworthy: the Small Business Development Center, the Women's Business Center, SCORE. Get in with some people that you know have no uh, financial vested interest in you, and 
the, you know, at least you know that they're going to keep you on the right track. And, and gosh, you have such great books out there in your series. That's a great place. That's a small investment, but still you can you can get the knowledge that someone else has already um, you know been down the path. They've already done for you, and and read other people's stories. What a great opportunity to do while you're uh, getting um, your your toe in the water. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Well, I'm looking at the clock here, Gene, and uh, we've got to be down to the short rows whether we are or not because (laughs) our our time is almost gone. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask you for your shameless self-promotion. Go ahead and tell everybody uh, where they can reach you, uh, how they can get hold of you for the purpose of maybe getting some of this guidance or availing themselves of some of your seminars or whatever it is uh, that you might be able to help them with. Okay, self-promotion, I like that. I do have, if anyone's interested in QVC, I have a PDF file I'm willing to share with them. It's a it's a free report that I can send out that goes into a little bit more in-depth on what you really need to do and, and know to be on QVC. And if they'll just contact me at Jean, at, that's J-E-A-N, at com, and that's J-E-A-N-N-E-W-E-L-L.com, um, it, they, I would be happy to send that to them, or they can go on my website, get a lot more information at com or com, And there's a, a lot of great information there, a lot of free uh, resources. But I always like to leave people with uh, my four, I call it my entrepreneur's creed. And if I've got just about another 15 seconds. I sure, have, go right ahead, absolutely. Uh, um, it, there's four things that I think are critical um, to be an entrepreneur, one is you have to believe anything is possible. If you don't believe it's possible, it, it won't be. So believe anything is possible. Number two, you have to enjoy what you do. If you can find that special hobby or talent uh, or something to bring over to your business that you already enjoy doing, it, it won't seem like work when you're putting in those extra hours and, and not seeing that, that income. So enjoy what you do. Number three, do whatever it takes. You're going to be doing something that you're not comfortable with. You're going to be thinking outside the box and, and doing things that are very uncomfortable for you. If you're not, a, if you're not a, a person that likes to meet other people, that's going to be very foreign to you and that's going to be hard. So in, you're going to have to do whatever it takes. And number four, which is probably the most important, is don't abandon your dreams. If you've got that dream and you've got that passion and you've and you've got, done your homework and the people around you and other, another professional say, I think it's going to go, don't abandon it. Just keep on going, and eventually it's going to. You're, you're eventually your hard work's going to pay off. Just keep on keeping on. That's right. That's great. That's those are that's a wonderful uh, creed. I love that. The four steps, or not four steps, but four things to keep in mind. Thank you so much for that. Well, thank you for letting me share that. Absolutely. Well, Jean, it's it's been a great fun hour. I'm sure that uh, we will have uh, further things to do, possibly uh, maybe even some affiliations and joint ventures somewhere down the road with some of the other things that we both have going on. So that would be always fun and interesting to do, I'm sure. And I want to thank you for uh, being so generous, generous with your time that uh, uh, you'd be on the on the show with us today. Man, I have to ask you one other thing before we go. Did you happen to listen to the show with Richard Lustig? Um, no, I was out that uh, – that was yesterday, wasn't it? 
a couple for, days ago now. Yeah, yeah. Couple, yeah, yeah, I was out and I wanted to because uh, I had it on my calendar because he's a he's a, a, a associate right here in in my neck of the woods and and he sends me all his updates and where he's going to be and I and I sorry I missed that so I have to go back and and play the replay. You get a chance to listen to that on the archives. It was it was a fun show. I enjoyed the show with him as well. So mm-hmm. and uh, it was through him that we got to you or you got to us, and that's uh, that's great. And uh, it it all works. Networking works. It does. All networking, networking works. <laughs> well, thanks again, Gene. We really appreciate your taking the time. Well, uh, I'll give you a call here shortly after the show, and there's a couple of other things I wanted to touch base with you on. And that, thanks for the pups. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you for the pups. And we'll we'll talk uh, briefly on air, uh, off air rather, when we're done with the show. Oh, right. But but thanks again for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. Take care now. Bye-bye. And that has been Ms. Jean Newell from uh, Nuco.com is her website, I believe. Is that right, Deborah? Nuco.com. JeanNewell.com. She is the inventor of the pup pup and the gizmo. So uh, if you want to have your pup or your gizmo, uh, she's the person to contact, and uh, we certainly enjoy talking with her. Uh, have, hope everybody has a great weekend. Uh, for those of us that are listening here in the Phoenix area, we're going to be at the Valley View Community Food Bank Grand Opening tomorrow from 10 to 1. We'll be broadcasting from there, and uh, there will be uh, t- tours of the food bank given. Uh, you'll be able to meet some of the staff. There will be vendors uh, out and about, I think, in the parking lot as well. So you'll be able to have a, a nice day at the grand opening of the Valley View Community Food Bank that uh, services the Phoenix area, the northwest Phoenix area at any rate. So that's it for us for now. Have a great weekend, everybody. And we'll be back on Monday with more Boomer and the Babe Show, more Arizona Boomer Radio. Have a great day. And have a great weekend. Take care. You've been listening to the Boom and the Babe Show, where we bring interesting conversations to the world. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, where we tweet as Boomer and Babe, and on Facebook as Pete Peters 47. As always, you can friend us on Blog Talk Radio or sign up for our newsletter at boomerandthebabe.com. Email us at host at boomerandthebabe.com with any of your comments. Remember, at 50, you're just getting started. 